This is Bragging Rights, a show all about college football, where the conversations are lively, the topics are trivial, and the hosts are semi-knowledgeable. And now, here are your hosts, Madison and Pierce. Welcome into another edition of Bragging Rights Week 6 Recap Edition episode, whatever you want to call it. About halfway through the season, lots of good stuff to talk about, lots of bad stuff to talk about, and we're going to break it all down before we look ahead to the next week, which is a behemoth of a schedule that I'm already super excited for. But we don't want to waste, we don't want to waste, we don't want to overlook what just happened this past weekend. To break it all down with me, I've got my co-host, I'm Madison, I'm joined as always by brother Pierce. Pierce, how are you? I'm doing well, doing well. It was. It seemed like uh, the first weekend in a couple where I wasn't uh, disgusted with how one of my teams played, and that doesn't just mean uh, on the football field. It could mean uh, on the baseball field. Uh, it's a big time of year. This, uh, this, you know, with baseball in the playoffs, you've got hockey starting up, which our teams already had two games starting out two and zero. That was good. Uh, it didn't have any uh, any really two negative uh, aspects of the Georgia game or the uh, TCU game, and and both those teams won. So I'm doing pretty well and looking forward to uh you know flushing all of the the info and stats and games that i watched this weekend out of out of my head for good and and to move on to next week because next week's next week's a big one now uh just not not to not to jump ahead but um i sent you that stat today from from the bear chris felica it's the first time since 1998 i think it is where three matchups of five and oh or six and oh teams are playing in one weekend so yeah. we got a good one coming up um but we had a good one this past week so uh, excited to dive in and like i said flush this out of my uh, out of my brain for good yeah we had a better weekend than i was anticipating um i happened to be at the georgia auburn game which was closer than the final score would have it indicate uh though you know still to beat a rival 42 to 10 you gotta like um yeah, I mean, it was it was a very fun weekend, to your point, watching the Mets just absolutely blow it. Um, I will say a little bit disrespectful, the MLB giving the Braves the early start times for the uh, NLDS. Really, uh, really unfortunate. Won't be able to go to any of those games because they're at, oh, I don't know, 1 p.m. right in the middle of the workday. Um, but yeah, no, I'm super looking forward to just, uh, it's a really fun colliding of all of the sports at this point of the season. There's a couple points of the year where a lot of sports come together this is one of those times where you're starting to get playoff baseball. You know, you've got hockey, you've got uh, NBA is going to start here. You got college football, NFL, uh, and you know, just it's starting to cool down a little bit too. So you got excuse to stay inside and watch TV and not feel bad about it. So you gotta love it. You love to see it. Um, all right, I don't think I have anything else to uh, to touch about or touch on here, Pierce. So let's just jump in here with our good, bad, and ugly. Going to switch up our format a little bit this week, uh, just so everybody knows listening at home typically what we've been doing is we've been going through and we pick 10 games and then we talk about those games in the recap episode we're going to start broadening things because sometimes the 10 games we pick aren't the 10 best games of the week sometimes those games stink and sometimes there's nothing to really report about sometimes the games we don't talk about are the interesting ones that happened on the on the slate so in a way to kind of mitigate uh that and clean things up potentially make these a little bit shorter as well for you we're just going to hit on the highlights, the, the top things of the weekend, still going through all of the scores of the top 25 and whatnot, but we're not going to go in depth about what happened unless it was a memorable situation. Otherwise, we'll just talk about the score and you know hit, hit any of the uh, key points of it and then move on. Um, all right, let's jump in here. Pierce, would you please tell the people what your good performance of week six was? So I'm doubling up here because I think there are uh, there are two teams that, I, that stole the weekend. Um First and foremost, and I went against them again this week, the UCLA Bruins. Uh, Chip Kelly has somehow figured out a way. It's almost like, uh, and I've heard this phrase, like he got players in and just kind of hit them in the garage for a little bit and and waited a couple years to let them mature and whatnot, and they are playing some good ball. I did not see them being able to go out here and then, quite frankly, manhandle a Utah team who plays a more physical style style for Pac-12 school. 
Um, and golly, they've got a two-headed horse. DTR, uh, Dorian Thompson-Robinson, is playing some of his best ball right now, uh, you know, controlling the football, not not turning it over as much. And then they've got a monster back there at running back in Zach Charbonnet. I will hit on him a little later. But that two-headed monster there has this team clicking. And uh, they've got some good players other, uh, you know, around them, which they, you know, have been shaky at. They just haven't been a full, com- a complete team uh, over the last two years. They've had some talent, um, but can't put it together. And boy, they are playing well. And I, and and it's strange too. It's it's when you know this team six or seven and zero. Oh, when are they going to finally get some fans in the stands? Because they couldn't even get one for this game. It's eh, surely they've got to start coming out now. Uh, but either way, UCLA won the weekend for me as they. Are uh, seem to be uh, you know one A one B with USC, um, so a good one brewing in uh, in LA uh, for the Bruins and the and the Trojans, um, and then I got to shout out this team, the James. I don't even know what their mascot is. Bulldogs, James Dukes. Madison Dukes, 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 the James Madison Dukes, and I and think. here's something crazy: they are ranked for the first time in the history of their program in the FBS um, in Division One, and they've only been in this year. They're not even allowed to make a bowl game, which is a stupid rule. Um, but something about moving up a division, you have to like forfeit two years because uh, uh, I think it's really because they just don't think that uh, you know you're going to be up to speed. But that's a stupid rule. James Madison undefeated, uh, ranked 25th in the country. Good on the Dukes as they get into the top 25. It's a team you, you haven't seen ever in the history of college football in that top 25 ranking. So got to give a shout out to, to James Madison and also we'll hit on a couple players, I believe from them as they've got some guys that are really, really putting up some good stats this year. Yeah. I only know about that Pierce because, uh, the, um, there's a apparel company. I won't shout them out cause no free ads. They have a bunch of retro designs in schools that you don't typically see other places. And uh, I was on there one day and they have a James Madison shirt that is purple and in gold lettering just says Madison and has a football underneath it for James Madison football. And I was like, well, there's no perfect, more perfect shirt than that for me. So I had to buy it because if it's got your name on it in a football, you got to buy it. So uh, and then it says Dukes on it. But they but their mascot does look like a bulldog, a little bit like the uh, Crimson Tide elephant situation, I guess. Um, all right. My good performance of the week, Pierce interim coaches. So I said this to you prior to the podcast and you said, Ooh, that's a good one. And I'm going to, you're, I'm going to need a little bit of help here. Maybe shouting out some of these interim coaches who have turned things around quickly and turn things around is, is, you know, a, a min, means perspective. Obviously nobody's like, Oh, wow. These co- teams are going to go on a tear now and win their conferences. There's a reason they fired their head coaches. But when you talk about some of these teams, Wisconsin post Paul Chris, what they did, this past week. Nebraska's looked better. Arizona State absolutely crushed Washington. Georgia Tech, who couldn't get a damn win under Jeff Collins, has gone out and won their last two. What's happening with interim coaches is very, very interesting. And it makes you wonder a little bit with some of these teams who have coaches holding on by a thread that there's something else going on. I mean, you and I had a quick conversation today. Why hasn't Auburn fired fired Brian Harsh at this point? If it's pretty much all but been discussed that it's going to happen and he pretty much knows it's going to happen, why would you not try to turn things around? Um, so it's very interesting. It, you know, I, if I was a better, I would not be putting money against an interim coach right now just because there's, it's like a breath of fresh air. You, We've talked about this before. There's the interim coach effect of a little bit of a breath of fresh air you know, the players can feel it when the coach is, was, is coaching for his life. And there might be a little bit of a monkey off your back situation of like, we can just go out there and freaking play and have fun. You know, nobody believes in us. Our coach is getting fired. Let's just go out there and have fun. And and those teams are playing like it. So very, um, very interesting thing what's happening in college football, especially as these coaches get fired earlier and earlier. And now we're seeing teams that you're like, well, what the heck? Because the players didn't change overnight but just the, the the head ball coach did. So that's my good performance of the week. What is your bad performance of week six, Pierce? Who mine was an easy one, and it's the LSU Tigers. You know, you got to give some credit to Tennessee, and we'll hit on this a little later um, when we break down that game more in depth. But LSU, man, just they're just not a good football team, and, and they make some very questionable calls um, from their coaching staff. It's it just is, it can be a mess, and and it's it's downright ugly at times. I mean, you got a guy uh, you know returning a kick, and I know he wasn't the I don't know if he's a primary guy, but coming up to field the ball on the opening kickoff, and it hits off his chest and bounces right to the Tennessee player. Tennessee goes down in in two three plays from the twenty five yard line touchdown. 
Then the next possession, LSU goes for it on fourth down from their own end. Doesn't get it. Gives Tennessee another short field. It seemed like Tennessee was just playing from a short with a short field all game. Um, they couldn't really get the LSU couldn't get any stops on defense, and and that's Tennessee. That Tennessee is a solid offense, a, a very good offense at that. So, um, you know, hard to rip them on that end. But boy, I, I really thought this LSU team would be able to hang. Um, you know a decent amount of points on this uh, suspect Tennessee team. But boy, I knew I was wrong quickly because Tennessee was doing a good job at, at, at running some stunts up the middle and confusing or up front and confusing this LSU offensive line. Uh, and they really were doing a great job of stopping the run. They were putting an, an extra guy or two in the box and daring Jaden Daniels to, to, to beat them in through the air. And he's just not really one of those guys. I mean, he really doesn't push the ball down the field. It's all dinks and dunks. Yeah, he threw for 300 yards, but came on 32 attempts, which gives him an, only an average of about eight, you know, 8.4 yards a, a, a pass, meaning he's dumping the ball off pretty quickly or hitting short passes. And and Tennessee's going to let you do that. If they're going to put an extra man or two in the box, or two, one or two guys in the box, then then they know they're leaving some guys on an island and so they're going to let you have you know the short passes they don't want you to beat them deep and with no threat of that LSU just had no chance and um you know part of it is kudos to Tennessee but it, it was you know when you're an LSU team who can't score at will um and doesn't have the greatest defense you can't give the ball to them with short field uh you know multiple times they were down 14 17 points within the first four minutes of the game it felt like and you just can't spot a team like Tennessee that much when you on you yourself can't uh can't put up uh, the points to make up that difference so my bad of the week is LSU Tigers and a really quick shout out to their fans for being um very um <sighs> making excuses and saying well you know we just can't get up for an 11 a.m kick our dad sent us a stat earlier this week that said that they've had more home game or uh, night games at home by like a mile Georgia's had the least and you know what it's tough to get up for an early kick I'm not gonna lie for the players perspective it's tough as a fan and that's still no excuse it's still no excuse so that was when I was reading some of the things that they were saying online I was like y'all are quite I'm sorry excuse my French but y'all are assholes right now y'all are assholes so interesting to see what's gonna happen next week with Tennessee but I agree with you a little bit of a interesting suspect. I mean, I said it a few weeks ago. I'll still say it. Their, their defense does not scare me in the slightest. So we'll see what happens next week. Um, another team that does not scare me is the Arkansas Razorbacks. Whoa, 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 whoa. How the mighty have fallen. They were a top 10 team at one point, Pierce. And now they look just absolutely pathetic. Uh, they lose to Mississippi State 40-17. to 17. Now, I do know that it was in Starkville. I don't really, I did not anticipate them winning, but to not even make it close to a game. Uh, yes, KJ Jefferson was out, but you still have, the thing that, this is the reason it's bad for me, is it scares me a little bit for where Arkansas goes from here, Pierce. You know, like I said, they started off with three wins, Cincinnati, South Carolina, Missouri State. Those teams ain't nothing though. Now you've lost three straight, Texas A&M, Alabama, Mississippi State. You have to go to BYU next week and then Auburn. As much as I don't think Auburn's good, Robbie Ashford was not a bad, he was pretty athletic, I should say. So, you know, if they start to catch, you know, they fire Brian Harson here in a couple weeks. I don't think that's going to happen, but in case they do, maybe they catch a little bit of a fire. You potentially lose the next two. Their head coach said after the game, the only thing that we really were hoping to do was this year's win a bowl game. So you just were hoping to win six. That's it. That that was the ceiling. That was what you, th- you just came out and told your boys and the media and your fans that your ceiling you thought this year was six, six wins. We just wanted to make a bowl game. Well, you might not even do that, buddy. There's a chance that you don't even do that. You have three wins. You got to get three more. Let's be, uh, let's say Missouri's a win. Liberty's a win. Now you're at five. I can't guarantee you a BYU, Auburn, LSU, or Ole Miss win. Pittman went from a media media darling to absolutely looking like a buffoon. And uh, the the, uh, fans... Haven't really started a fire Pittman train, but they are hoping for new coordinators. And which we is all hilarious. know what happens. Right, which is hilarious because I love Sam Pittman. Don't get me wrong. He's a fantastic guy, but he's not the reason that team has been good. He made really good hires. He is more of your CEO type football coaches. He's not the one in there making the decisions on offense or defense. Who are you going to go get? Who? What coach is going to want to go to Arkansas when there are teams that have been proven the Nick Saban coaching tree, what Kirby's starting to do at uh, at Georgia, where you can go in, 
coach for them for a few years then get back into a to a big time role whereas you go to Arkansas and your career potentially wastes away so I don't know not great performance by Arkansas on the field and now off the field and it will be interesting to see what happens with them down the stretch and uh, into the off season. so that is why they are my bad performance of the week Pierce what is your ugly performance of the week Boy, it was the ugliest game of the week. Iowa and Illinois. Listen, I know we could do this about Iowa game, pretty much every Iowa game from every week. Um, I mean, the way that offense plays, it's like watching paint dry. They do play good defense, but their offense is just it's, – it's a joke. It, it really is. It's a joke. I don't understand how you can be that inept on offense for a, for a Power 5 team. I know that you go through spurts, but they've never been a dynamic offensive team. And this year it's just downright ugly. Obviously, I think this game is much different. Tommy DeVito, the starting quarterback for Illinois, did have a high ankle sprain. I believe that was the injury diagnosis um, and couldn't finish the rest of the game. They took a step back, and they will take a step back with, uh, I think it's Switzkowski um, in there. He's just not as dynamic an athlete or thrower as DeVito. Um, Illinois was able to move the ball on the ground but just really couldn't do much of the air. It's a 9-6 final. It was like watching paint dry. But here's 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 the funniest thing for me, and I had to I had to find a way to put fit this in because the game was downright ugly. But this is one of the most incredible drives I've ever heard of in the history of football. I'm not oh, kidding no. you. I don't know if you saw this. So Iowa had a possession where they went three and out and punted from their own 16. Illinois muffed the ball at their own at at their or at I think it was Illinois 35. So it's a pretty good punt. They went, Iowa recovered, got three plays, went three and out, lost six yards, punted it. Then on the first play for Illinois, forced a fumble, went four plays and lost four yards and kicked a field goal. So in essence, it was a 15 play, negative 10 yards, 76 punt yard field goal drive. I've never heard of that before. I don't think I'll ever see that again. And that's Iowa for you. And that's the game for you. It was downright ugly. And I hope I don't have to see a game like that ever again. It was that bad. So my ugly of the week is not just one team. It is two, and it's a game, and it's Iowa-Illinois because it was not pretty. Well, it's interesting, Pierce, too. I'm seeing people outside of Iowa fans, just people who just enjoy the game of football, who are sad about what's happening there, and they're, they're calling for Kirk Ferentz to retire. Just, buddy, just hang it up. Just there's no need to keep coaching. Just retire, and that's pretty bad when the national media is like, "Yeah, I think maybe it's time for you to go." And they're not even they're not even calling for him to be fired anymore. They're just like saying, "Dude, this is sad." Like you know that this is sad. You should know this is sad. It's an IQ test at this point. Um, and it's I I have a, a friend who's an Iowa fan, and uh, it's uh, it's depressing. I think it's depressing to be an Iowa fan. So, woof woof woof. Not a great performance by them. My ugly Pierce is the Oklahoma Sooners. The Red River shootout was just atrociously lopsided. 49 to nothing. The Texas Longhorns beat the Sooners. I have no idea what Venable's contract was. Maybe you know. Um, but it was a lot of money. And, you know, he's a kind guy. And he said, I'm not going to poach from Clemson's roster. And they look bad. They look really really bad because guess what Lincoln Riley did poach from Oklahoma obviously we know with Caleb Williams and a few other players and they're left with what they're left with is just wow it is it's just I don't even know how it can get better we might we might be looking at an Oklahoma that now because of some and I don't think Brad Venables is a bad coach necessarily but it just feels like it kind of feels like one of those teams that is, it's going to take them the better part of a decade to get right. And maybe I'm being, uh, you know, a little bit uh, doomsday here. But we saw it with Tennessee. We kind of saw it with Florida. You know, we, we, you, this happens. We saw it with Texas. How we saw it with Texas. USC is another one. These huge powers that a couple of dominoes fall and they're not able to react the right way or they react poorly. They guess wrong or whatever. And then it just takes a long time in this sport. It's not like the NFL. It takes a long time in this sport to get back on top. And I, it, you can get you can get off the the top of the heap very quickly. And it takes a long time to get back up to the top. It's part of the reason why Bama is probably going to be injecting Saban with chemicals until he's coaching until he was 105. Because who knows what's going to happen after him? You know, it's it's very precarious in this league um, with how 
fast it comes and goes, how fast the riches come and go. And Oklahoma is down bad. And I, if they don't have a good off season, I don't think we talk about them again in 2020s. I think it's not until the 2030s maybe that we're talking about them again because it's that's how poor it looks and how, how oh how the mighty have fallen. This is a team that just always made the playoffs. Last year I picked them to pick to win the national championship and this year I mean hellfire. They play Kansas next week and I think they might lose. It's it's an interesting situation um and and it's going to take a lot to to it's going to be, I'll, I'll like to do a, I might do a case study on them in the off season because wow, not a great performance and just really a, a down point of college football to have to watch that game for a very dominant rivalry, a very talked about rivalry, anticipated rivalry. And it just was, did not live up to the billing this year. Woof, woof, woof. Sooners. You got some explaining to do. All right. That's our good, bad and ugly of the week. Before we get into a couple of deep dives here and talk about how we did the records and everything of that. Let's go ahead, Pierce, if you are ready. Let's go ahead and keep the ball rolling. Let's talk about our braggers of the week. <laughs> Sounds good. Moving this one up. I love it. I know. Um, I decided bra- I made that, that audible call. Yeah, I was not expecting that. So I uh, apologize for the, uh, the delay response there. This is a guy that we could probably talk about each week. Uh, Ohio doesn't have the greatest defense, and they're in a lot of high-scoring games, and they've got a pretty darn good quarterback. Curtis Rourke. 24 27 for 427 yards, three touchdowns. Didn't throw a pick in the game. Also tallied 32 on the ground. Next QB on this list, Will Rogers. Mississippi State absolutely dominates Arkansas. He goes for another three, 31 for 48 and another 395 yard game, as it seems like he racks these up every single week. Three touchdowns with zero picks. And don't don't look now or don't uh, be ready in a, in a few weeks if he's able to pull an upset off Alabama or keep it close. You can see Will Rogers' name uh, pop up for the Heisman, so keep a, keep an eye on that. Jackson Dart, QB Ole Miss, almost left him off this list just because of who they were playing, but got to give him some kudos as he goes 25 of 32 for 448 yards and two TDs. Unfortunately, he did throw two picks, um, so not the prettiest in the world, uh, but a big night through the air otherwise and also tallied 15 yards on the ground. Todd Santeo, QB of James Madison, baby. We talked about him earlier as they jump into the top 25 for the first time in program history in their first season in Division I. Uh, just an amazing story. 28 of 37 for 394 yards, four touchdowns, and zero interceptions. Uh, this one is a crazy stat. I feel like this happens uh, every few weeks with a running back. Israel Abanaconda, uh, Abanaconda, running back from Pitt. 36 carries for 320 yards and six touchdowns, average of 8.9 yards per carry. Just a man's performance uh, by the Pitt running back as they beat Virginia Tech. Hit on this guy as well, UCLA, Zach Charbonnet. 22 carries for 198 yards and a touchdown average nine per carry uh, as he really is the workforce of this UCLA Bruins team who's got the ball rolling now and Chip Kelly and company. Uh, if you're a Bruin, not that you go to the games, you got to be, uh, if you have any any inkling of fandom for your Bruins. Uh, this is the guy that's carrying the load and got to, got to be excited for where they are uh, in Chip, Chip Kelly's uh, fifth or sixth season there with the Bruins. Uh, another running back out of Cincinnati, Charles McClelland, 21 carries for 179 yards and two touchdowns averaged 8.5 as they pull off. I believe it was an overtime win. Uh, Jonathan Mingo, wide receiver, Ole Miss. We hit on his counterpart, Jackson Dart. This was the real story of the game for Ole Miss as he receives nine catches for 247 yards and two TDs, set the Ole Miss single season or single game record for yards receiving. An amazing stat if you really consider some of the talent that they have had at wide receiver, Elijah Moore, uh, DK Metcalf, AJ Brown, Laquan Treadwell. You you just go through the list. They've had a lot of good receivers, and this guy has now set the single season receiving game uh, record for Ole Miss. Another receiver, and this one's a, a he's a dude, man. He's a dude. Quentin Johnston, wide receiver from TCU, about 6'4", 235 pounds. Um, but don't let that size confuse you. He can run like a gazelle. 14 carries for 206 yards and one touchdown as he made men miss at the line of scrimmage on quick passes and also had a couple highlight reel plays as TCU uh, gets the win in Lawrence, Kansas, uh, beating the Kansas Jayhawks. Uh, wide receiver Trey Shropshire at, of, out of UAB, six catches for 193 yards and a touchdown as they wallop MTSU. And last but not least, Wisconsin wide receiver Chimera. D- I, I don't know if this is Dyke or DK. I think it's Dyke. Um, How do you spell and, it? And it's D-I-K-E. 
I almost said it and went, maybe I shouldn't say that, it's but it's a player's Dyke. name. So Chamere Dyke, Ch- Chamere Dyke uh, 10 catches for 185 yards and three touchdowns as another one of those schools that uh, has an interim head coach look pretty quickly like they turn things around and Graham Merce, you know, how often do we talk about them struggling through the air? So it's nice to see Graham Mertz and their wide receiver crew there get a lot more action as they blow out Northwestern with their new potentially potentially new head coach, if all goes well, um, in Jim Leonard. Yeah, I mean, that seems to be why they made the move when they did. Um, so we'll see what happens there. All right, that's the Braggers of the Week. Now let's talk about... The people listening at home who are in the pick'em pool, who's got bragging rights this week, Pierce? Week six, I don't know this person's first name, so you have to apologize, but uh, Kud, Kude, Kude, look at me now, I don't know last names. I'm going to say Kude 27, Kude 27, it's C-U-D-E for what it's worth. He had uh, 14 and 6 on the weekend, UCF Knights fan 04, 12 and 8, MK 4004, 12 and 8. Then you've got old Norm, Jeff Prifty, and Liz tied for fourth. I'm coming in tied for seventh with a whole slew of people. But what that does for me, Pierce, is because you have been sucking the past few weeks, you finished dead last in the bottom of the week six pick'em. Only six wins on this on that uh, week for you. Right above you was dad at seven and 13. So at least you uh, were in good spirits down there. I now have moved into first by a few points there on the yearly leaderboard, the annual leaderboard, 71 and 56 on the season. You have dropped now down to number six. And uh, go ahead and I'll shout out there, Jeff Prifty. He's uh, he's right on my heels. He's been on my heels the whole time. You and I were talking about how you can win one week and you kind of move up the board. So we'll see if this QD27, however you say his last name, uh, how he does here in the next few weeks, if he's able to maintain his leadership position. But if I can hold off him and uh, Jeff Prifty, I'm feeling pretty solid here halfway through the season. We'll see if you're able to uh, bounce back at all. You and I both sucked on our podcast pick and went two, seven, and one on the week. Not a great week for us there. Don't forget the pool, the pick em is open again. Probably when you're hearing this, maybe give it a day or two. Probably by the time the the uh, the preview is out, we'll have lines on that. We just have to wait for the the site that we does our pick them pool to have their lines solidified. So check it now. If it's not there, maybe check back tomorrow, and I'll send an email as always. But I've had a couple people forget because I haven't sent those emails, and I don't want that to be you. So set a reminder on your phone. I don't know whatever you have to do because I'd hate for you to miss out on potential monetary prizes should you be able to beat me or Pierce in this pick and pull. You got to win the whole thing right now. Nobody except for me is winning. So ha ha ha. I get the money. I get to keep the money. I should say. All right. That is, uh, the status of the pick and pull. Let's go through and talk about individual games. Pierce. I will do the normal. I'll run through scores and then we'll go in depth. Top 25 only, which I know the rankings don't matter, but, and I want to get to that in a second. The rankings don't really matter, but at the end of the day, if you're in the top 25, you're in the top 25. And that's who we talk about. Number one, Alabama 24, Texas A&M 20, narrowly escaping another potential win there with Texas A&M. Georgia takes care of business in the Deep South's oldest rivalry, 42-10. to 10. Ohio State keeps it rolling, 49-20. to 20. They've got a bye week this week, and they look to be, prob- I think, the best team in the nation, but we'll talk about that later. Number four, Michigan over Indiana, 31-10. to 10. A little bit of a sleepy start for the Wolverines, but they get it done and uh, cover that point spread. Clemson walloping Boston College 31 to three look out Clemson's probably going to be in the playoffs I don't see anybody catching them if they can get past Florida State this week and let's be honest that's not much of a test Washington State loses to number six USC 32 14 Oklahoma State 41 Texas Tech 31 Tennessee 40 LSU 13 in a really lopsided match we'll see this this next week Pierce against Alabama will be when we really can decide this sounds stupid because it's like we've seen them do enough that I'm ready to say Tennessee's a good team. But this week will solidify whether or not they've truly turned a corner with their program or whether or not they're getting uh, getting some teams when they're still down bad. Ole Miss, let Vandy hang around, but they get it done 52-28. to 28. UCLA 42, Utah 32. If they can get some fans there in UCLA, the Bruins will be a fun team to watch. The number 12 Oregon Ducks beating Arizona and Tucson 49-22. to 22. Kentucky, the exposure party continues. South Carolina in Lexington, 24-14. to 14. Gamecocks get it done. Florida State, woeful decision at the end, but I get why they did it. Their field goal kicker has been absolutely atrocious. 
they lose the game by two points. Field goal would have won it. Uh, 19 to 17, Wake Forest, Wake Forest, NC State over the Knolls. Wake Forest 45, Army 10. Wake Forest keeps it rolling. BYU, woof, woof, woof. Notre Dame beats them in Vegas 28 to 20. TCU over Kansas and a good win for the Horn Frogs, 38 to 31. Kansas, still a lot of room left on the board, a lot of good things for you to, to happen, but we all knew it was going to, you were going to get a loss eventually. And this was uh, at the hands of the Purple Horn Frogs. Kansas State barely beats oh, Iowa State 10 to 9. Just an ugly, ugly game. Arizona State 45, Washington 38 in the post Herm Edwards era. Mississippi State 40, Arkansas 17. And last but not least, the Cincinnati Bearcats 28 and USF 24. Bearcats get another win on the season. All right. That is the setting the stage now for what happened around the, around the top 25. Let's talk about some individual performances. Pierce, you and I uh, identified four games here that I, I want to not only have you talk about because I need a little bit of help. So here's what happens. I watch the games, but I'm at most games, right? Like I'm out usually either at a game or at some kind of watch party or something. I don't I don't necessarily sit there and take it all in like you do. I wish I did sometimes, um, but I also enjoy the going to the game. Um, that's kind of my, that's why I love George. I love, I love college football so much because I like the atmosphere, but you're kind of my X's and O's guy. You're my guy that sees it all and can truly, uh, be my eyes and ears on what happened around college football. So I wanted to talk about these four games specifically. So you can kind of fill me in and, and see if the scores were as indicative as I think them to be. So the first game I really wanted you to highlight and talk about, and I was at this game, so I've got some thoughts on it. Deep South Southwest rivalry, Georgia over Auburn. Now, it felt like a scarier win than I think it was. Um, it ended up being, if that makes sense. Georgia definitely seemed to um, come out sleepy again, uh, but they did get it done. Lad McConkey finally righted some wrongs. He did muff a punt, but gets it uh, gets it together there, and wasn't didn't have anything majorly atrocious this game. Defense though shined. Um, I really liked, like I said earlier, Robbie Ashford for quarterback at uh, Auburn. So I think they potentially could uh, could do something there with him down the stretch. But that being said, this Auburn team is just really bad. So I want to know, Pierce, in your opinion, was this more about Auburn being bad or was this Georgia maybe potentially getting back up to speed and back up to the team that we hoped and thought they might be post-Oregon? You know, it, I think it's a little bit of both. Um, I actually left this game probably more encouraged than than I have in, you know, a month with this Georgia team. Listen, this Auburn offense is not very good. So you didn't face anyone who, you know, was going to really scare you to keep up with you uh, on the scoreboard. However, this Auburn defense, at least their front seven, is is not bad. I know they've had some injuries, which, you know, and, and one of their best pass rushers, if not the best pass rusher, did get hurt, which is a shame. But they play hard and they play good defensive football. Um, I mean, you saw, I know LSU is not a world beater, but LSU had, I believe two defensive touchdowns last week in order to beat Auburn. So they only scored seven points on, on this Auburn defense. Um, I, you know, so I, I think what encouraged me the most is that we went back to kind of being like we were last year and, and we have been for the last decade and a half. And that is a ground and pound team. I didn't know this until actually just today, about a couple hours ago, but Kirby Smart did confirm that Stetson Bennett uh, was dealing with a shoulder injury. Now, it didn't keep him out of practice, which is probably why no one really said anything through, throughout the media. And you know Kirby keeps that pretty uh, you know, tight-lipped. He, he doesn't like to talk about injuries. Um, it really doesn't address them all that often. You know, He might say, ah, he's dealing with a little, you know, uh, some bumps and bruises or something, but he's not going to really tell you what's uh, what's going on if he thinks that the guy might be able to play. Just from a tactical standpoint, it makes it uh, it makes it have it makes the other opposing team have to practice for a multiple uh, for a multitude of guys, whether that's the starter or the backup. So, and it is funny, you know, I, I did notice Stetson kind of shaking it out, uh, you know, kind of you know doing uh, doing circles with his arm to try to kind of loosen up that shoulder. And, and I think it showed he, he missed a lot of balls. Uh, you know, maybe you would guess that it'd be underthrown, but I think he was trying to overcompensate for that bum shoulder and it feeling tight, um, by trying to overthrow and, and he missed some guys. Uh, and I mean, think about this. He doesn't miss many deep balls because he gives his guy, he's a pretty accurate deep thrower. 
And and generally, he gives his guys the best chance. You know, we've seen some guys over the year, whether it was Matthew Stafford or you name it, who just consistently overthrew those deep balls early in their careers. I know Stetson's an older guy, and, and Stafford and company ended up getting it going. Um, but if he makes those two throws, which normally he does, we're looking at a, a 50, what, 54, uh, 6, 58 game, uh, point game from, from Georgia. So uh, I was really encouraged by the way they were able to run the ball. Um, there's not a guy in this backfield that's going to be as talented as Zamir White. Um, Kenny's pretty comparable to James Cook. But we don't have a Nick Chubb or a Sony Michelle or, or those type of guys. But I really, really love seeing Branson Robinson coming in. That guy is an electric runner. He looks, you know, I, I know this is crazy. It's unfair to the kid, but he looks like Nick Chubb out there. He's a, he's a squattier dude with good balance. And you can just tell he's got a different uh, look to him when he gets the ball. He's still young. He's not going to get as many carries as he got last week every every week moving forward. But hopefully he he does get uh, you know more consistent and better throughout the season because he's a weapon on the ground. And Dejon Edwards, I mean, you can't say enough about the guy. He's kind of become – I know Kendall Milton got hurt with a groin, but he's kind of become the guy that's uh, our in-between the tackle runner, which is strange because he's, set, he's, a, he's a much smaller guy than we have in, typically in the backfield. But, he, he you know, those those little guys, they, he runs so hard, and you kind of lose him behind those big linemen. And, and then he pops out, and he's right on you, and it's hard to get leverage on him. Um, and so he's a, he's a very solid back. He will – I think he's earned more reps, even with Kendall coming back when he eventually does. Um, yeah, Georgia struggled through the air, but again, I was very encouraged with the run game. Defensively, there's still some holes, man. Still some holes. We're we're, we're hurting without Jalen Carter, obviously. Um, I loved what Bear Alexander did. Bear Alexander is playing a lot. True freshman number ninety nine. He is. Uh, he's going to be a good one. Um, and I thought defensively, I know they don't have a great offensive line, but defensively, I thought it was one of our best games from our D line was able to get constant pressure and had uh, had Ashford running for his life. Um, I like that kid. He's a, he's a freak athlete. It's a shame, though. I don't see enough progression from him he, or, or progression throughout his reads. He's a one look, you know, and if that option's not there, it, he's, he's, he's scrambling um, or, or, you know, freaking out and running like a chicken with his head cut off because um, he just doesn't have the ability right now to process the information quickly and go from – you know, guy to guy to guy. Um, it's really just one go, maybe two, and then run if you don't see anything. Um, he made a couple errors. That, that that fumble, unfortunately, where he had escaped and looked like he had uh, 25 yards to run, where it just hit off his knee, that's a, that's an unfortunate one. He gifted us a, a turnover there. Um, we'll love to see Georgia keep him to, uh, to three. I think the conversation from a national media perspective would be a little bit more positive. But I, I was I was I left this game – feeling much better because if we can run and it's not like Auburn's in the bottom half of, of, you know, d- defensively, I, if we can do that against them, I'm not saying we can do it against the elite defenses, but that's going to make the games a lot, a lot more manageable on our end. Cause we can dictate the pace. We can control the possession of the clock. Um, and, and what it really does is what's been our one weakness on offense, our inability to score in the red zone. When you can run it in between the tackles like that, you can score in the red zone. So I, I, I left a little more encouraged than I think most people do did uh, in this game, but um, there's definitely still some things to clean up. I think really what it, sh- it, sh- it shows you, and it's been a couple weeks now, is that the top teams just aren't as – there's not as drastic of a gap between the top three teams and the next 60. Um, so, so I think you're just going to have to get used to that y- this year. But once Stetson gets back to healthy and, 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 and is clicking with those deep throws, um, I love that he was able to get some good runs on the day because that's a big when, – when people are worried about him running, it, it causes people to back off the line of scrimmage because he can also run to extend plays, and that's a big deal, and that really kills defenses. So um, I'm more encouraged with this, uh, with this win than I think most people. Um, but, again, there are still some holes to clean up, but no doubt in my mind I think Kirby will get that uh, cleaned up as soon as possible. Yeah, I mean, it felt good to me. It 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 felt like it felt like what you needed to do, but you can't help but but lean into and and uh, feel a little bit of that not hangover, but a little bit of the naysayers from the past two weeks. Before I ask you this question, I want to talk about this next game, Pierce. Let's talk about Tennessee LSU. We kind of already talked about. It. We touched about it a little bit with your good, bad, and ugly. 
But I want to talk about this game because specifically you said something to me when we were going through and we were talking about our good, bad, and ugly. You said this is more about an LSU team that was bad than a Tennessee team that was good. Now, I didn't watch every single down of this, but it never felt in doubt. And Tennessee seemed to come out and just, I mean, in every way outplay LSU. And they look to be firing on all cylinders. They look to be really good. Hinden Hooker makes this team, don't get me wrong. Their defense still scares me. Tennessee's defense still scares me. I felt that when I was sitting in the crowd for the Tennessee-Florida game. I thought to myself, well, they can't tackle. They can't stop anybody. They can't stop the run. And they can't, you know, they'll they'll let you get some really explosive plays downfield in the passing game. I didn't watch every single down of this game, so I'm not sure if that was still the case here with LSU. But you said some things. You said, you know, hey, no, I think this was more of a case of LSU just doesn't have it than Tennessee does. So I want you to expound upon that. Let the people know what you're talking about. Because I was like a little bit like, befuddled because I was fully expecting you to come in here and say, oh, Tennessee, absolutely dominant performance, blah, blah, all this stuff. But you said, no, this was more about LSU. So so what did you mean about that? Yeah, and 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 I will give kudos to Tennessee. I mean, they are – I actually do think they're a top-five team. I think they're better than Michigan, who holds the fifth spot right now. Um, and I think Tennessee uh, has every chance to get in that top-five. I mean, they, they're, their dreams and their goals are right in front of them. And, man, you know, going into – uh, Death Valley, you've been there. You know how difficult it is to win there. Even if LSU is not a, a good football team, it is still incredibly impressive to go in there and win the way they did with that score. They were always going to win this game. Don't get me wrong. But this game really was a blowout from the the second or third drive of the of the game. And, and that just shouldn't have been. I mean, when you come out, I've already hit on it a little bit. When you come out and, and and the first kickoff of the game, you fumble it, and not just fumble it, but it hits off your shoulder in, in an embarrassing fashion and bounces right into the hands of a Tennessee player, no one even around them. What do you think they're going to do? They're going to score. Seven down, seven nothing down within two, two and a half minutes. Next possession, Brian Kelly, I know you've got to keep up with a Tennessee because they're going to score a lot of points, and I know LSU really has to – do whatever they can to try to force the issue offensively. But the second possession of the game, and they didn't even have the first possession because they fumbled it, they went for it on fourth down on their own side of the field. You can't give Tennessee short field position. If you look at it, um, Hinton Hooker, now they ran the ball incredibly well. Um, but Hinton Hooker only had 230 yards of, of passing. He, he was very efficient. He did exactly what he needed to do. But that just goes to show you they were starting – in good field position the entire game. Um, now, you still have to execute and you still have to go down and score. So that's that's why Tennessee still you know, played really well in this one. But, man, when you're an LSU team that can't score and you're, you spot them pretty much 17 points in the first quarter, you give up. You can't score. You, can, you know you can't get to 35 against Tennessee, even if their defense isn't all that good. Defensively, I was a little bit impressed with Tennessee. I thought they were – Game plan, uh, they were doing some stunts uh, uh, on the defensive line that were really confusing this LSU team, and they and they did what they had to do. They had to shut down the run. They they committed more guys to the box um, and, and just dared LSU and Jaden Daniels to beat them through the air. I know Jaden Daniels got 300 yards. It was all short throws. They really He wasn't pushing the ball the way down the field. Tennessee was letting them put, you know pass in front and then making the tackle. Um, this is a Tennessee defense who ranks 128th pass defensively from a pass defense standpoint. They can be exposed. They can be exposed on the back end. LSU is just not the team to do it. And when you start off and you, you, you spot Tennessee 17 points, what do you expect to do? You're going to get blown out. Now, I was also very impressed that, and, you know, you hit on the LSU fans and how embarrassing it was, the excuses that they are making. Um, and it certainly was a, was a weird, weird atmosphere there. You could feel it on TV. But I'll give another shout out. Tennessee traveled and and they were singing Rocky Top from the first play of the game until the last. Um, they came out and and it was exciting to see Tennessee almost take over the from the stadium perspective. I know they only had probably fifteen percent, ten percent of the of the fans, but they were loud and you could they were they were being seen all over. Um, so it was a great showing from Tennessee. Exactly what you'd want to see if you're a Tennessee fan. But at the same time, man, LSU just did everything to gift Tennessee points and, and just played a downright ugly brand of football. Um, and and it, was, it was top to bottom. It was bad offensive play, bad defensive play, and maybe even worse coaching. Um, I, I, really? 
People, people, in, yeah, people in Baton Rouge, if, if this continues, uh, man, I know you got to give uh, a guy like Brian Kelly uh, more than a year, but they're going to start calling for his head here soon if he keeps doing some some dumb things and, and can't get this figured out. And I don't know where they stand recruiting, but I, he's going to have to – He's going to have to go on the transfer portal and I think get pretty lucky with who he uh, brings in next year at the quarterback position or else you could be looking at a quick, quick tenure for Brian Kelly there. Um, I mean, you just can't, you can't do some of the boneheaded things he did. I know he's, he's trying all he can to try to, you know, force the issue and, and score points to keep up with Tennessee. But you also got to think about it on the flip side, make him drive 80 yards. Don't give it to him on your own 40, own 35. That's just stupid, um, especially that early in the game. So, yeah, it was it was kind of both. It was it was both. It was good for Tennessee, but it was also equally as bad for for LSU. Um, so interesting game, but I do love it. It sets up a big one this weekend in Knoxville. Huge one, and and the statement still stands here. I think that the Florida one was a good, t- and I'm I'm not saying Tennessee hasn't been tested. Let me if I've said that, let me take it back. It's not that they've been, not been tested. It's just that this game, this particular game, will be the difference between, yo, they've gotten lucky and they've got one of the best quarterbacks in the country, and they truly have turned the corner. If Bryce Young is back, now if Bryce Young isn't back, this this changes the entire tune of the 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 situation. But if Bryce Young is back and you are able to rise to the occasion and handle Alabama, we've seen, you know, several teams recently have their moment in the sun against Alabama. This is your chance, uh, Tennessee, the best shot you've had in over a decade, maybe even over two. Well, not over two because Bama was pretty bad in the early 2000s, but at least a decade and a half. This is your chance. Let's see what you've got, and uh, it's going to be interesting to see. They've got them. They've got Georgia as well. Um, those are going to be two very big tests, and there's a possibility here, Pierce, where we are talking about and previewing an SEC championship that has Tennessee in it. That absolutely is on the table. I'm terrified of that. But that's absolutely on the table that there's a possibility that we're looking here and going, you know, they're the best team in the East. Um, I happen to think that, you know, this is a special season for them. I don't necessarily know if it's going to translate into the next few seasons. So live it up while you can. Tennessee Vols, you've got, this is exciting. Live it up. That's all I've got to say about that. Um, All right. So the question I wanted to pose to you, Pierce, is, and I'd I'd kind of already got you prepared for this, but... Uh, commentators are talking about how Tennessee's got a better shot to beat Alabama than Georgia does. And my question for you is whether you believe that to be true. Now, I want to caveat here. Let's say this is a full-strength Bama. Um, I do agree that the past couple weeks with Georgia, with Missouri, and Kent State were not great. And Tennessee hasn't shown anything so far that leads me to believe that they couldn't rise to the occasion to beat a Bama. They've certainly gotten better as the season has gone on, but I do agree with you. They have played some pretty bad teams. They had to go down to the wire with Pitt. They almost let Florida come back at home. And the LSU game was probably the most impressive, but like, I don't really know what to make of LSU. So that's where I'm going. Okay, I get it. I understand what you're saying. Tennessee's playing very good football and Georgia looks suspect. But I'm like, are we being, if we, if we make that comment, if we make that statement, is that being a prisoner of the moment? Or is that true? Do you think that Tennessee is pound for pound a better football team than a Georgia, at least at this current moment? Maybe not at the beginning of the season, maybe not at the end, but at this current moment, if they just got to play both games back-to-back, because obviously, as we know, Georgia and Bama won't meet until the SEC championship if that opportunity arises. But do you think pound for pound right now at this moment, Tennessee's a better football team than Georgia? Uh, No. Uh, They certainly have a chance to be. They're they're certainly much closer than they were last year. This this team hasn't played an elite enough offense. Um, they'll certainly get one this week. I'm not saying Alabama is as elite as they've been in the past. They, I mean, to be quite frank, they they don't have receivers that are even close to equal as they have in the years past. With you name it, Jamison Williams, John Mechie, um, you know Jerry Judy, uh, Devontae Smith, uh, Jalen Waddle. I mean, you name it. It's just a who's who of NFL stars right now, and 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 they don't have that this year. They're a little more inexperienced. Um, they've got some. Certainly, they've got some young players who are very talented and will, I think, be very good players. But it, it, it's, and I think that's why you've had to, you've seen Bryce Young, you know, in that Texas game, he had to really, you know, work to and and really will his team to victory there because they weren't able to get that separation on on the Texas DBs. 
However, they're still good enough to tear up a Tennessee defense because Tennessee is so suspect in the back end. Um, so again, they haven't faced the elite offense, and I'm not saying now Alabama or Georgia are. They also haven't faced an elite defense. Um, and and now I do I do you would need to clarify for me to give you a true answer, but I don't know if Tennessee. I think Tennessee might have a better chance to beat Alabama than Georgia does to beat Alabama. But that's simply because that Georgia will be playing in the SEC championship game. Um, and I know it's right down the road, but Bama travels really well to those games too if those two teams were to meet. Whereas Tennessee gets Bama at home. And and you've seen Bama, when you get Bama over the last couple of years at home, they're a little more suspect. I don't care how good their teams have been. They can, they can they, I don't know if they'll come out flat, but they can kind of succumb to, to the pressure a little bit, and especially in the first half. And then they just have the good, you know, such good players that they're, you know, Bryce Young's able to will them back to victory. Um, so, so yes, I do think Tennessee might have a better shot than Georgia at beating Alabama this year. Uh, but I, I think this is their shot to beat Georgia or Bama. I think they might. I think they do probably beat one of the two. I don't think it's a guarantee, but I do think that they will come close or beat one of the two, Alabama or Georgia. I would put my money more on Alabama because they're playing at home. They got to go on the road at Georgia, and I know they just won in Death Valley, but on both sides of the ball, LSU is not even comparable to to Georgia, even though Georgia does have some issues. The talent level is just it's, – it's such a wide gap. It's – it's just unbelievable. So um, to answer your question, yes, but there's a caveat there. Um, so I, I, it's a game, though, that I'm so excited to break down tomorrow um, or Wednesday when we do break it down because, man, the Tennessee fans are riding high. Could you imagine? It'll be insufferable if they win this week. Oh, trust me. I live with a Tennessee fan, which is why I brought up the question, Pierce, is because that was one of the first things that she brought up when I saw her. She was in Baton Rouge, and one of the first things I brought up was that statement that announcers made, and I kind of had to temper her and say, well, you know, the thing about talking heads is they are, and we do this on this this program too, they are supposed to be, you know, the people who are slinging um, the hot takes, if you will. And that's certainly a hot take. That's going to make people go, whoa, and, you know, get excited. And I'm not trying to poo-poo on anybody's parade because they could very rarely come out and beat Bama. And I would say, honestly, shock the world and and confirm a lot of this talk and everything like that. And they absolutely should live it up because it's a fun, it's finally fun to be a Tennessee fan again. And yet I'm sitting here, I'm going, oh, just watch yourself, watch yourself. Because if you are going to uh, play ball with the, or if you want to step into that ring, I should say, of throwing out these cocky statements, you got to be ready for it to be thrown back at you. We know that uh, too well there as Georgia fans. They'll, oh God, they'll, you and I are, are notorious for not listening to podcasts the day after Georgia loses because it turns into a dunk, you know, just dunk on them type situation. And if you're going to start, you know, we're all happy for you right now, Tennessee, but if you're going to start talking talking junk and things like that without anything meaningful to back it up, if you win this weekend, then you have every right, right? You know, but but the pre-talking, I'm going, okay, all right, here we go. I'm, I'm keeping the receipts. I am keeping those receipts. All right, uh, let's talk about Alabama and what happened versus Texas A&M. Weird, weird ending to the game. Texas A&M had an opportunity to win this thing, and we're in it for pretty much the whole thing. I was very shocked to see that, and for them to lose the way they did in Bryant-Denny. You know, it's one of those that, you know, we know as as what happened the past few weeks, and, and any fan base can understand. Just win. Just You got to win the game. That's the name of the game. Win the freaking game. Who cares about the point spread at the end of the day? Betters do, but fans don't. And they definitely didn't come out and look fully themselves. What we know, Pierce, is that Bryce Young is the real deal. Obviously, we knew he was the real deal, but we know what we know is without him, they look a little lackluster. They definitely look beatable, I should say. They didn't have him. Perhaps they realized, hey, let's just try to. Apparently, he could have gone in case of emergency, though it never reached that point where they thought, let's put him in. They're probably saving him for Tennessee this week, give him a bit of a buy situation. Um, and they almost got bit in the butt for it. So tell me about this game a little bit, because this happened after ours, and I was watching most of it, but you know, you're packing up the tailgate, you're getting back to the condo, everything like that. So I didn't really get a 100% chance to pay attention to everything leading up to the end, at least. And I kind of want to get your take on it all. Um, you know, what, what to make of what just happened. 
Yeah, I'm starting to wonder if uh, Texas A&M just, you know, has has become the old Miss of uh, the, um, you know, those five years with call. Hugh Freeze. You know what I mean? It just, yeah. I don't know for whatever reason. It seems like A&M just is able to they get up for Bama. Um, this was certainly a spot where I thought Bama would absolutely roll. I had them pretty big um, in my own pocketbook, which obviously stinks. Um, you know, at that point, you just want the upset to happen because you've already lost. But I was wrong. I was wrong about Jalen Milrow. Uh, you know, they they I know he had three passing touchdowns. He he didn't turn the ball over that that much. You know, he, ha- he did have one pick. Um, I thought the play calling was a little bit strange for Alabama. Uh, to be quite honest, he had 19 attempts and that's probably 19 attempts too many. Um, they, they, they were able to run the ball effectively on this Texas A&M team. And in some of their big moments in the second half, they just stopped running the ball. It seemed like, so it was a strange offensive game plan, uh, type of game for Alabama. Um, not sure what that was all about. Uh, but boy, A&M could smell blood in the water, uh, towards the second half. Um, you know, when they started, uh, when they caught up and got, got 17, 14 at halftime, I think you kind of sensed a better, uh, or, or a you know, energized Texas A&M. Haynes King didn't play poorly. Um, you know, 253 yards for the air, only 50% completion, but he did, he did what he needed to do for the most part. So um, for the first time and maybe in his career, I, I thought he played fairly well. Some of those freshman receivers stepped up. Um, Evan Stewart had a pretty good game up until that last play where he just didn't, uh, didn't execute on the, on the route very well. Um, I know there might've been PI, but this Alabama offense was pretty anemic other than the run game. And listen, here's the thing. A&M may not be very good. A lot of that has to do with their 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 lack of quarterback play. But the one thing that AM does have is they've got a ton of five stars and 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 a lot of good players. And they've got a lot of young players too. Young players are going to be very inconsistent from week to week. And and I think this is a Texas AM team that can kind of I don't want to say quit, but come out with a you know, lack of motivation from week to week. And and that's a dangerous thing in the SEC when most every team you can play can beat you. Um, this was a game where that 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 talent, especially on the defense side of the ball, stepped up and played pretty darn well, um, you know, really in all aspects. So I am concerned on offense. I know Bryce Young would have – they probably would have won this game by 14 had Bryce Young been in there and healthy – but it wasn't like they had many receivers just running wide open like in years past that are just game breakers. So, you know, how much extra would Bryce Young have provided? He would have provided some, but I don't see them covering that number of 24. And when I thought this game could get ugly quickly uh, and, and, and despite all the, you know, all the people, you know what it feels like? It feels like Alabama has a lot of elite talent, but they don't play as a team. It really feels like that. It doesn't feel like it's it's a full team. It feels like they've got a lot of me 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 guys, um, and 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 uh, and guys that are very talented on defense, but can get out of uh, position because they're they're getting overly aggressive. Uh, I you know I'm sure this defense will be playing pretty well. It feels like the defense from last year. To be honest with you, it, it doesn't feel like they're a, a, an elite Bama defense. They've got some elite players, but I, I you know I think they can be had. And and offensively, it's kind of Bryce Young or bust. I know Jameer Gibbs has really come on, and he is probably the, one of the top three players. You know, he is a top three player on this team. And if they didn't have him, boy, I don't know. I think Bama might have lost twice by now. But I'm going to give them pass, and I think they deserve a pass because Bryce Young wasn't in. And if he was, I do think this is a, a, a 10 to 14 point uh, difference as opposed to four and, and a four that was quite frankly uh, a toss up for most of the second half. And I did, I did have some Bama friends that went to the game and, and, and I know this is an overreaction, but it was kind of uh, interesting to hear. And they said, man, we might lose twice by the end of the year. We are not the same Bama team we've been in years past. I think that you still can take some stuff from that because I, they don't usually get like this, uh, you know, and, and, and they've shown, they could struggle on the road the last couple of years. This was at home, and that's a little more alarming for these fans, uh, and it was a little more alarming for me. That being said, if I had to bet, and I have already put a little bit of a wager in on Tennessee, um, plus seven and a half, that hook, it's just too juicy for me not to take. But I, I can tell you right now, Bama's probably the smart side coming off a, a poor showing. 
against Texas A&M. They're due for for a better game. And Tennessee coming off of a really good game, flying high, could, could are, I think are due for a little regression. So we'll see if I'm right on that. Uh, but this could be a spot where it's a buy for, for Bama going into the game again in Knoxville. Yep. It is going to be interesting. I can't wait to break that down with you on the preview pod. One more game for us to talk and talk about, I should say, on our deep dive. Give you a minute in the sun, Pierce, your TCU Horn Frogs on the big, big stage having game day there. I mean, it was not in Fort Worth, but it was in Lawrence, which might have made it all the sweeter. And y'all keep rolling, taking down Kansas and staying undefeated and looking like the best team in the Big 12. Now, am I being a prisoner of the moment by saying that? Maybe. I do think Oklahoma State looks Oklahoma State looks good as well. And Texas with Quinn Ewers is just a force to be reckoned with. But I did not anticipate this being where TCU was at the end or at the or at the middle of the season when we started the season. Really cool moment you sent to the family too, uh, at the end of the Texas game when former coach Gary Patterson just wanted to know how his former team was doing and how it was going there in Lawrence, Kansas. All right, this is your moment. What did you like from your alma mater? And uh, should we all be joining the uh, purple hype train? Uh, I think uh, I think give it one more week. I think this next week they do host Oklahoma State. I think if they're able to take care of business there, then you have to think they're a front runner um, to win this conference. But Oklahoma seems to be Oklahoma and Texas seem to be kind of the competition there. I know Kansas State's you can also throw in the mix. Um, they certainly they they did what they needed to do. Um, and and I'll tell you what this was in my opinion, the best game of the day. It was an, it just a treat to watch. First half was a little shaky, um, but it, boy, it, it was it was going. It was rolling like a typical Big 12 game in the second half. Just points galore. Um, you know, it was just 10-3 at half, uh, and it ended up being 38-31. So it was an offensive explosion, in particular the third quarter. Um, you know, there's some question marks, I think. I think Kansas did a pretty good job of exposing some things. Uh but at the end of the day, I was I was concerned with TCU coming off that big win against Oklahoma, Kansas. It's the biggest game in in you know the last twenty five years, or tw- you know fifteen twenty years for their program. You knew that you were going to get their best. Game day was there. The fans were pretty much in the stands like forty minutes before the game. That that place was that place was full to capacity. Um, so so I was I was pretty nervous coming into this game, even though uh, you know TC was favored, and I do think Kansas is Kansas is a good football team. They actually probably impressed me more in TCU to be quite honest. I thought TCU was gonna you know win this one fairly comfortably. They got up ten nothing, and I thought, oh here we go. Now we can just absolutely roll on them. Um, something that was interesting, and I don't know if this is this I, I have it as a concern. But you've seen this being a Georgia fan when when a, a different style quarterback comes into the game, it can be really difficult to adjust. And Kansas is starting quarterback who's been great for them, Jalen Daniels. I feel like there are so many Jalens and Jaden Daniels in, in college football now. It's crazy. Um, but Jalen Daniels was struggling in the first half, hence why they only got three points. He got rolled on after he got tackled and taken to the ground. You see it so often in, in in college and in NFL. One of those big linemen falls on you and you're landing on your shoulder. It, it typically doesn't go well for those quarterbacks. And unfortunately, Jalen Daniels had that happen to him and couldn't play the rest of the game. Um, and that happened in the second quarter. Their backup came in and I thought was much better than Jalen Daniels. I, I'm, I'm To be quite frank, I'm, I know Jalen Daniels has gotten him to this point, but this this Bean guy, I think his name's Graham Graham Bean. Let me confirm. Jason Bean. He was more of a passer, and boy, he was just lighting it up, throwing just throwing deep. He was he's a very good athlete, so he was able to scramble as well. So you had to still ex, still respect the run. Um, you couldn't commit to running just man and and allowing those DBs to turn their backs on every play because he'll hurt you with his legs. But he did a great job of extending plays too, and and finding some of these receivers that that were pretty impressive to me down the field. It wasn't quick plays. It wasn't short passes. He was getting the ball down the field, and it seemed like every time he threw, you just held your breath. Uh Uh-oh, uh-oh, this is going to be a a touchdown 60-yard pass because that's quite frankly what he was doing, and these receivers were making plays. Um, 
it got rolling there in the second half where Bean was playing so well. I, I quite frankly thought this was a loss. Um, but Max Duggan stood, st- you know, stood tall and absolutely had. He didn't statistically have his best game. He did throw for 308 yards on 23 completions. Um, he went 23 of 33. Also had three touchdowns. Um, did throw a pick, but he was throwing the ball with such confidence and throwing just absolute BBs in, into uh, it, to his receivers and 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 threw a couple threw a couple balls that quite frankly are just there's nothing the defense could do. They were you know even in double coverage where you've got a you've got a too high shell with a safety coming over and and you know the cornerbacks all over him and the safety looks like he could make a pick in the end zone on a 40 yard just seed and he just split both defenders and and now the receiver had to make a great catch but Duggan really impressed me Kendra Miller the the running back is an absolute stud they need to run him more than they did in this game I know uh, the I know Duggan was in one of those zones so don't blame him but this dude is your workhorse um and TCU did what they needed to do. They had a great performance from Duggan, a great performance from their maybe their most talented player on the team, Quentin Johnston, uh, the receiver I hit on earlier. He, I think he's a no-doubt first-rounder. Um, he runs like a gazelle, but he's also a big physical guy, and he made an incredible catch in the second half. Um, and this was a back-and-forth game. You know what was scary? I thought for sure. So TCU scored with a minute and 30 left to take the lead. Um, and, and the way Kansas had been moving the football in the second half, I thought for sure we were going to get a last second touchdown and Kansas was going to go for two for the win. And I was nervous, but TCU holds strong, um, defensively wasn't perfect, but they did what they needed to do. I, I came away from this game actually a little more impressed with Kansas, um, having a backup quarterback that's able to do that is a huge ordeal you're seeing in the college football landscape. You know, a quarter starting quarterback goes down. Ninety nine point nine percent of these teams don't have a backup quarterback who's good enough to go out there and and keep the ball rolling. Kansas did, and quite frankly, he looked better at times than the starter. Um, the defense defense is a little bit undersized and not as talented, but boy, they play hard. They play a bend but don't break style. That was you know TCU went down the field a lot and um, came away with either only three points or no points. Uh, and, and they've got some guys offensively, so really hoping that Leopold uh, Lance Leopold stays around because this is a fun team. They're they're believing in this in this program and in this coaching staff, and it shows. Um, I don't think this, I don't think, I hope not. I don't think this Kansas team, uh, you know, I don't think the Chiefs falls off the cracker here for them. I think they uh, have every chance to get to, you know, nine nine wins on the season, uh, especially with what seems to be a, a slightly down Big 12 conference this year. Um, but TCU needs what the, they needed to do, and boy, it sets up a massive one next week in Fort Worth against the Oklahoma State Cowboys. Yeah, it's one of the marquee games of the week. That and uh, all of the the 3.30 slate is going to be an absolutely loaded one between that and Bama and Tennessee. And then you also have Penn State and Michigan, I believe, also at 3.30. Maybe that's a noon game. It's a noon game. 3.30, what do you got? You got uh, Oklahoma State, TCU. 2.30. You got Alabama. Yep, you got Alabama and Tennessee, which 3.30 Eastern time. Thank you very much. Those two. Georgia plays at 3.30, which, of course, nobody else cares about but us. Um, NC State and Syracuse, which is an interesting one. Syracuse is 5-0. That's at 3.30 as well. Um, uh, that's an interesting one. Uh, yeah. NC State's quarterback, O'Leary, or Leary, Devin Leary, got Devin hurt O'Leary. and uh, yes. doesn't look like he'll be available the next couple weeks. So, yep. so Syracuse could pull off a major upset there. They really could. Um, and then I'm hearing rumors right now, Pierce, that Penn State and Michigan might be a whiteout and a maze out. All Can you do a whiteout nice. during the day? Well, you can't. It's also away. It's in the big house, so it's not really a whiteout. But I'm saying the team could be wearing their all whites, and Michigan's oh, I do I their thought this maze. was at home. No, okay, yeah. gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Okay, house. that's cool. Yeah, so that could be an all time color matchup. But that is going to be for the next podcast, which will come out here in just a day or two, and that is going to do it for our week six recap. Let us know what you think of this new format. Do you like this way? Do you wish we'd go in depth about all of the games? We're trying to play with it, trying to figure it all out and also make it, you know, more fun for us as well. So let us know about this format. Make sure you're following us on social media at Bragg and Pod across Twitter and Instagram. Make sure you're subscribed, share with a friend, like, rate, comment, do all of those things that help us grow. We really appreciate it. We have just a few more weeks left in this season, so we do not want to lose our opportunity to talk to you and engage with you down the home stretch. For Bragg and Rights, I'm Madison. 
And I'm Pierce. Stay blessed, y'all.